0: Take your Bibles tonight, turn to Micah chapter 5, if you would. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Of course, the verse that is referred to in Luke chapter 2. And tonight we'll continue the thought about the gift of Christmas. Verse number 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet... Out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. And in this phrase, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. You know, an, offered, an obvious reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, thank you for reserving your word for us. Lord, thank you for the truth that it teaches us, Lord, the way it guides. And Lord, gives light to our path. Lord, today we have considered the great salvation that you have provided, the peace, Lord, you have brought, and the enmity that you have ended. And Lord, tonight, as we consider this gift once more, Lord, I I pray again that we would just, during this holiday season, this Christmas season, Lord, be able to pause and thank you for this great gift. And so I ask help for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for standing. Someone has suggested that you can measure the significance, and I might put the word in brackets, importance, of an event by the size of the stage upon which it is played. In other words, in this line of thinking, scale might determine significance. The bigger, the grander the platform, the larger the audience, the greater the expense, uh, the more significant um, is the event that we are beholding. And I think in many ways this, this is common sense and it is true. When the President of the United States is elected the whole world will be watching. And that's certainly going to be true in the coming year. That is a major event played out on a major stage all across the world. And in that way a scale probably does term, uh, determine a degree of significance. I remember, I'm this old, I remember when man first landed on the moon. And I remember being in my classroom watching on those whole box TVs, you know, that had the tubes in them, watching, you know, man take his first steps there. That was watched around the world. And certainly, I think most of us would deem that as significant. It was a historic feat. And from that research in time, so much of the modern world we enjoyed has sprung forth. Um, I was recently in Branson, and how many of you have been to the Sight and Sound Theater? Yeah, that's a pretty big stage, is it not? I remember, I think, one of the first shows I ever saw there was uh, Noah. And I remember when that theater just kind of was there, and then it all opened up, and the animals were everywhere. And that was a great show. You, know, that's, a, that's a big platform. And the message that they are sharing certainly is sig- significant. You know, big stories, big stages, um, often speak with loud voices. Um, you know, that'd be true maybe like in a sporting event. Uh, Today I had the chance to watch like 10 minutes of a football game. And of course there are tens of thousands of people in attendance and the the announcers are speaking loud and the the, the crowd is roaring. And all the platforms I've suggested are big and, and they are loud. These events often clamor for our attention and they shout for us to look their way. I think the modern-day Christmas phenomenon is certainly a big event as well. If we were to measure it by its stage, which is played out, you know, in every store, you know, across America and around the world, if we measure it in terms of dollars spent, time, advertisement, and all the effort that goes into it, you know, there's some effort in probably almost all of our homes, then Christmas, the event, is somewhat colossal. Behind the colossal event with the Santa Claus and lights and shopping, you know, we, we heal this, this beckon to us when we walk into a store. Big things often speak in big voices. But sometimes um, big things speak quietly. Now I might say this, urgent things speak loudly, sometimes important things speak softly. And there's a difference. Sometimes a softer, quieter voice beckons to us, a voice that is seldom raised to maybe an audible level, whose significance is so great and far reaching that it falls all other stages to pale in comparison. And that voice invites us to consider what we are what we choose to attribute to the Christmas season, the birth of Christ. You know, there's this principle that The most important things in life often do give way to the urgent things. We call that the tyranny of the urgent, don't we? And how many of our days are captivated by the tyranny of the urgent? Uh, In the things I do, if I do not give deliberate time and space to the important things, then the loud things will crowd them out. The, the, The urgent things, this crisis, this crisis, this crisis, when what I need to do is study and pray and do those things. It's easy for all of us to give way to that. Um, And I I will say this, when we give too much space uh, to the urgent things instead of the important things, um, sometimes we don't hear until it's too late. But the most important events in all of history was played out in what you and I would consider, according to Micah 5-2, a very, very small and humble stage. Um, In this event, there was no media, there was no advertisement, there was nothing on TV, no commercials, no commentary, no debate. But rather, in a humble and quiet stable, the greatest event of eternity, a cosmic event, uh, an event that caught the attention of the angels, as we discussed this morning... The greatest event in human history spoke in a quiet voice. I've been to Bethlehem um, twice, and even today, it's not spectacular. Of the thousands of places that you might visit in the Middle East, and even specifically in Jerusalem, there's nothing really uh, captivating about Bethlehem. Bethlehem today resides mostly um, in the control of the Arab territory. It's a place that you can't always go to when you visit Israel, but if conditions are right, you can. You enter the city and it's surrounded by the hills where the shepherds would have been, and there are still shepherds there today. In the days of Jesus, Bethlehem maybe would have numbered around 300. We don't know for sure, but it was probably very small. Uh, And as the Bible indicates, it would have been incredibly humble. The place that Jesus would have been born, now we, we often reference it as a barn um, or a stable, but the idea probably when you get there, it's, it's more like a cave. When you walk the fields, you'll see these caves that they have turned to stables or barns, and they're just little outcroppings of rocks, and people will probably carve them out to a degree, and, and there'll be little folds around them, and, and sheep will be inside. It's, it, it's, it's not even entirely man-made. It's just, it's just humble. It's very simple. Ephrata was a name that pre-existed before Bethlehem. It was an ancient name that refers to Bethlehem, but more specifically, uh, rather than the city, really the region or the area around it. Uh, Probably the most famous thing about Bethlehem is what they provided. And for centuries, I suppose, from the fields of Bethlehem came the sheep that were slain for the temple service for the atonement of people's sins, uh, you know that's not lost on me. All the things and the pieces of puzzle that God puts together to impact us with meaning—it was a very humble place. This is the place where Rachel was buried. It's the place where Herod condemned innocent children to die. Um, in the scheme of the world that was watching and significant. But what God unfolded there was incredibly big and important in that small place. No earthly audience save barnyard animals, some poor shepherds and a young teenage mother. However, within the realm of glory, uh, the significant event was not lost on the angels. So here, I guess in a way, significance is determined by scale. And the Bible, we said this morning, says that myriads of angels appeared in the sky. A lone angel appeared comforting uh, the couple, but uh, in the sky uh, from one side of the globe to the other. The Bible says myriads of angels appeared. It's, it's an idiom that re, re, again refers to ten thousands times 10,000. It's a countless, really it means kind of an innumerable number. It is just an opinion that I hold, you can hold different, that all the angels that there are gathered in, in, in the way that we could perceive them and celebrated this incredible event of what was happening in the birth of God in the manger in human form. Um, They gathered to witness the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and as the text told us in Luke, a Savior. In that respect, it was a significant event. What is amazing about this event, and I, I strain today, probably feebly, to help us comprehend it, you know that was for us. It was sung tonight. You know, He's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I wish it was in my uh, ability to be eloquent enough to press upon you what God has done for us. Have you have you ever been taken aback by things that were done for you before? You know, I, I just just recently I celebrated 20 years here at Eastland. And I remember that day, and I remember going home, and Terry and I just reflecting, and I it's just taken aback. Like, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's overwhelming. That's so humbling. You know, it's just, just like words sort of fail you, to, fail that comfort, you know, to express how you feel inside about that. And I, I'm sure in different ways, all of us have been the recipients of some form of mercy, and, you know, unmerited, undeserved gift to someone else but to think that god condescended you know as i just keep pressing you know this holiday season that the equality he had as god you know he he didn't grasp it he let it go he condescended he descended you know from the realms of glory you know beyond the physical heavens to the earth and he became a servant and one who would be obedient to the death on the cross God did that for us. And specifically, it's fair for you to understand that He did it for you individually and specifically. And I I wish we could feel that, understand that, um, that it was an amazing thing done for you. It was a gift of grace and mercy, providing salvation. Now, as the text suggests to us in verse 2, and really throughout the text, what I won't reread, in Luke chapter two, the gift that was given was promised, and that's where really the reference that is being suggested here uh, in Luke two that we read here tonight in Micah chapter five. In this promised gift, this prophetic gift, um, there wasn't advertisement as we know it, but there was long years of prophetic, you know, utterance. The prophets telling us that a savior, a redeemer, what they understood to be the Christ would come, what they called the Messiah. They were looking primarily for a political Savior. They did not understand that their greatest need was a spiritual Savior. They needed that, someone to rescue uh, us from our inescapable dilemma of sin. The gift was given, as the text reads, in the city of David, of Bethlehem. To the angelic hearers of of this announcement of the birth of Christ, they understood the city of David was important. Micah 5-2, uh, the place of this birth of the Savior, is incredible because it's the place that God foretold it would happen. Micah describes that this would happen, and, and, and centuries later it, it it did happen. And the things that God orchestrated and dovetailed together in the birth of Christ are just absolutely incredible at the right time, in the right place, to the right parents, in the right lineage. Joseph and Mary, both being of the descendants of David, one from the legal line that traces back to David um, through Nathan, a line without blemish, and then also the royal line through Matthew 1 that traces way back to Solomon. And then what God did is incredible because, you know, the, the curse that we studied in Jeremiah, Jeconias, that would have kept them from being, that, that, that birth to be qualified, you know, Joseph was then the adoptive parent of Christ so there was no curse. So Christ was the singular person in human history who could have been the Christ, the Messiah and the Savior. All the things, all the promises that came together in Jesus Christ is just incredible as we read it here in Micah 5:2 and Luke chapter 2. A savior is given. Someone to rescue us the God who demonstrated His love in a way that the angels had a hard time comprehending. He was promised to be the Messiah for the Jews and the Savior for mankind. Jesus brought reconciliation between God and man through the redemption, the propitiation He provided, um, satisfying God in the way He lived and then died, receiving our sin and death and hell, and then us receiving uh, His righteousness instead Christ being our substitute, our justification. As we read this morning, Jesus Christ was our peace, and He is our peace. This was the promised gift. And then He's the personal gifts given to us. 1 John 4.10 says this, herein is love. You know what love looks like? Not that we love God. And that was my point this morning. What God did for people who were undeserving was amazing. Here it is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. That's what the angels marveled at. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to you and to me. The scripture says, for unto you, unto us, you the child was given. <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm going to confess a little bit of carnality here. Um this is true for me, it may not be true for you. I, I always get a little bit excited when I see a gift with my name on it. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm not surprised often, but there's just something kind of, you know, kind of cool when you see a gift and it says, you know, Pastor or Troy or, you know, your name or whatever. And then, you know, and then you get it and there's a, there's a you know, there's a, there's a joy in receiving. There's a greater joy in giving, but there's a joy in receiving and you look at it, but you know this this holiday season, um, there's things I've received. But here's what's neat about receiving a gift with your name on it. Someone gave that to you. So the gift has a meaning, but the expression has more. They thought about me. They took time for me. They wrote a note. There's you know, gesture. But it's personal. It's for me. And that's just when someone thinks of us. I don't know. I I don't know if that's a kind of selfishness or not. Um, It's meaningful to me. 2,000 years ago, on an entirely different kind of tree, we get gifts under it. God gave us a gift on it. The gift had your name on it. You know, the old story goes, you better be good and you better be nice because Santa's going to find out who's been naughty or nice. (laughs) The implication of that rhyme is some gifts are not given unless they are deserved. God's gift isn't that way. That's what the angels marveled about today in the highest realms of glory that resides a God who extended peace and goodwill. He extended the gospel to everyone, but grace is is when received through faith changes my position before God. From lost to saved, to alien to child. In other words, as we said this morning, the angels marvel at the peace God gave to undeserving people. I'm not saved because I merit it. On the contrary, I don't. But He loved me anyway. You can't get more personal than that. A God who loves us. Galatians 2.20 was a life verse for me for many years because I think I struggle with, you know, like a lot of people, you kind of struggle with maybe eternal security sometimes when you're young. And so I memorized Galatians 2.20. And I just, and again, this can sound selfish, but mean, it's meaningful to me. It says, I, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in, anybody know the next word? It's in me. See, it's not just a theology. It's not just, it's just not something that sort of, we teach um, in, in some, some kind of, you know, academic way. No, the reality is, is that the Creator through His Spirit dwells in me. Can't get more personal than that. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. (laughs) Does that not overwhelm you sometimes? I marvel that Terry loves me sometimes. I was not a perfect father. I, I can marvel sometimes that the kids still love me. Now the grandkids should love me. I bribe them all the time. <laughs> they should love me. I I merit that. I spoil them. I bribe them. <laughs> you know. I, I I marvel, but that God loved me. That's a big deal. And then of course, um, the gift God gave is powerful, and I. You know, with the time I had, gave effort to try to describe what God did for us. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And look in chapter 1. Now, when I say God is powerful, we often think about his omnipotence and the fact that he's a creator, which is mentioned in verse 16 of this very chapter. All things were created by him. But when I say powerful, I I want us to think about it a little bit differently. Um, Look at verse 11. Let's start there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. How's God a powerful gift to me? And so Paul, you know, is praying for us. we'll start in verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God made me an inheritor of heaven, of all that he hath, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son. This is a citizenship that is, that is amazing in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, that is power. Who is the image of the invisible God, the fourthborn of every creature. And again, this verse, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. Now, look with me, if you would, in chapter um, 2 speaking of the power of Christ again. And then verse 13. This is is the power of God. He took me from a dead person and made me a living one. And you, me, being dead in your sins. Dead means without spiritual life, spiritual power, inability uh, to, to merit salvation. I can't go to heaven. I am powerless. And you, me, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together, made alive with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And specifically, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That is power. Amen. He made me alive. And he took my sin. When I talk about the power of God, I'm talking about that he saved me. But more, this powerful gift altered my destiny. You know, we say, where would we be without Christ? It's an expression sometimes. But where would you be? What would your your hope, what would your future, what would your family look like without Christ? he altered my destiny. Before Christ, I was lost, and then he saved me. Before the gift, I was more selfish. But today, I focus on a relationship. Before the gift, hell was my lot, and after the gift, heaven. Before the gift, I had little direction, and after the gift, I have a cause to follow. Before the gift, There was no real hope, and after the gift I have a living hope. God's gift is powerful. And I suggested this morning it can bring joy. It brings peace. That's what the the angels marveled at. God made peace in a way that did not defy His holiness and reconciled men back to Himself. He smiled upon us. His grace found us. And that is God's gift. I want us this Christmas, as you open whatever gifts that you have your name on, let's not forget the gift of Christmas. And as was suggested, maybe the, the most important thing we can do this holiday season is share that gift with others. Invite someone, other, someone else into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do that, that might help you even understand the gift you've been given in a greater way and bring you a greater joy. All right, let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.